Well, absolutely dominant from South Africa. Damien Willemse named as the man. And welcome back to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the one podcast to rule them all, the one podcast to find them, one podcast to bring them all and into rugby behind them. Uh, we're competing for the worst <laughs> introduction, so that's my stake claim. Uh, <laughs> all right, if, if no one was aware that we're nerds, they know that now. Um, but thanks for tuning in again. Uh, this Good. is rather unorthodox uh, reaction episode to the recent Springboks versus All Blacks game. Uh, we'll get straight into it with initial thoughts. I've got my two co-panelists here, Phil and Ant. Phil, uh, your first takes on a world record beating. Yeah, I was. I thoroughly enjoyed the match last night. I think even in the first sort of 20 minutes when South Africa was struggling to score, it was just such a dominant performance and our forwards really sort of just choked the life out of the All Blacks in a way which we always knew was possible because our forwards are capable of that. But to see it happen and then to see the second or the seven subs come on, the seven forward subs come on and almost do exactly the same was just a sight to behold. And one of my favorite matches that I've seen probably of all time, but definitely in a long time. And your favorite Springbok result ever or? Am I taking it too far? You're on mute. Um, I'm just going to react with my actual... My, the best summary is... <laughs> For those that can't see the video, that was a, a sip of beer and a enjoyment. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because, like, you know, obviously against the backdrop of the World Cup, it's like, Great, we won the Qatar Airways Cup, you know, that very, very prestigious tournament. Um, it all felt a bit strange having to get, you know, up on a podium and take a tournament photo, like when we've got the World Cup in a couple of weeks. So, you know, it, obviously it's it's great to get that win, but it's really not the win that matters. But, you know, to put in a performance like that as a show of um, intent for the World Cup is incredible. So, don't I think 2019, I'd probably say it was a better result, better enjoyable result, but... I definitely enjoyed last night a lot. Yeah, I think in terms of specifically matches against the All Blacks, like that's got to be right up there. I mean, their most historically their their largest losing deficit, twenty eight points. Were, were either of you um, as annoyed as I was that we didn't give them a a fat zero? Uh, I, I, that must be. Have we done that in recent history? Have we given the All Blacks zero points? I think the that last the... time the All Blacks had zero was nineteen twenty eight when we blanked them seventeen nil. Oh, so yes, it's been a while. Although M Munster yeah. fans will be very quick to point out they blanked them in the seventies. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Yeah. Well, you you you're a, a fan of Cam Roygaard as a fantasy fantasy draft exponent. Um, are you still a fan of Cam Roygaard after he broke Springbok hearts in a bit comments? <laughs> if that's the broken heart if that's the extent of it that we have to deal with you know Springbok fans are going to be very happy for the rest of the year um it's still like you said a record-breaking win it's still the biggest ever losing margin for the All Blacks which is pretty ridiculous seeing that it's only 28 points so I don't think Cameron Regard's try takes away anything I know you're unhappy that we didn't blank them but for me the performance was still amazing we still scored five tries to their one try. So one try for them doesn't mean too much in the great scheme of things. And it was like a completely individualistic effort from 60 meters out, slipping tackles, running. So, yeah, I mean, big ups to Cam Roygaard. He's a big game player and he has a big future in a black jersey. Uh, I was just annoyed that we didn't, you know, know them. But, yeah. And, and he almost did it twice, which was the annoying thing. I mean, yeah, the one that he scored, but he broke through again. It's like, shit, no, he can't do this by himself. Yeah, they had a disallowed try as well for that marginal knock-on by Talia and the build-up to Jordan's try. But really, otherwise, I felt like the All Blacks weren't in the game. Yeah, I was very happy that we kept them out on the full-time. When they were attacking on up try line hmm. from, like, what, 77 minutes? You know, obviously... <clears throat> Game was comfortably won by that point. Um, you know, you've seen teams, particularly from what teams concede that last try, 
And, you know, 35-14, I mean, it's still a domination, but being able to come away with that record and also just show that even in the last minute of the game, you've come to one, we're still not letting you in, was, was quite a big um, positive for me. Absolutely. Phil, I mean, New Zealand have dropped down now, I think, to fourth in the world rankings in the last game before the World Cup. So that's unlikely to change before the tournament kicks off unless there's some really odd results in this evening. Is this... Well, France could lose to Australia. Well, tomorrow. Excellent. It's mathematical. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we live in the real world, so... Um, you know, is this is this the psychological blow that the Springboks were hoping to deliver? I mean, this game didn't. I mean, the Qatar Airways Cup was on the line, but who cares about that? This was really about getting a psychological edge and getting your team into some form and you know, putting down a mark of the World Cup. Has has that been achieved? I mean, could they have done any more? I don't think so. I think it has been achieved. You know, if we come up against New Zealand in the quarterfinals, which is, as we've been saying, quite a likely scenario, um, there's definitely a mental block which they'll have to come over, especially up front in the forwards, where they were so heavily outclassed. And not just psychologically, I think physically they'll be hurting after this. Uh, we saw Lomax go down. Not sure about the extent of his injury yet. De Groot went down, but managed to carry on playing. Barrett... Could, could potentially get a ban. We're not sure about, you know, if that will happen, seeing that it, his yellow didn't get upgraded. But um, Brazil is also injured and obviously Retallick's injured. So they're going to be counting physical costs. And I think this result went just about as badly as it could have gone in terms of a warm-up for them, whether you count the physical costs, the psychological one, as you say, but also just in terms of what you want from a match two weeks out from the World Cup where you're facing the hosts in the opening match. It's like, if they could uh, <laughs> if they could repeat the performance or if they had to choose to have this performance, they would rather have no performance at all. So I think Ant is getting a bit uh, exciting, excited. Are Fiji doing well? <laughs> Fiji have just leveled it up against England. Um, pot score under the try by Nasalevu, so that's very cool to see. Um, <laughs> sorry. I wasn't trying to distract from the question, but I think I think what you say there is exactly right. Like New Zealand genuinely can take nothing from that game. There wasn't a single positive aspect to that. Their forwards were outclassed at every single facet, scrum, line out, um, breakdown. So that was bad. The backline, as a result, didn't have any go forward. I mean, I think Talia looked dangerous when he was playing. I mean, when when he got the ball, like he was classically difficult to bring down. Um, you know, the, you know, that's kind of just a one-off. And, and obviously, Roy Gard looked energetic and dangerous off the bench. But, yeah, from, from what you want from a warm game, as you say, to kind of, like, just round off those edges um, and come into the World Cup fit and firing. And they were not – they're not taking any of that from the game. Um, they're coming from a really bad start. And with France in two weeks' time, it's definitely not the momentum gainer you wanted. That Fiji try has just been ruled out by a forward pass that. <laughs> the emotional roller coaster test no rugby. Um, is is this a recoverable position for New Zealand? I mean, they came into this game. I I predicted them getting the win just based off their form, how they've been looking, progressing. You know, they've they've been trending up and up and up from a bit of a slump after getting nailed in Mbombela and then coming back and winning at Ellis Park the week after. Since then, they've just been trending upwards and have been looking bloody formidable. Mm. And this week they just fell apart. I mean, is this now, is this a recoverable recoverable position? Is it a once-off, or are we going to see New, New Zealand crumble in this World Cup? Thanks for bringing that up, Andrew. I almost forgot that you picked New Zealand over South Africa tournaments. <laughs> well, Antony and I both, and and I both uh, oh, went with our heads. Go stand on. I'm sad and for being a non-patriot island. <laughs> but um, I think. The fact that they only really have to beat Italy in the group gives them a bit of leeway. So, for example, like if they go down to France in the first game, they have a lot of time to get some momentum back to build before the quarterfinal. There's a long time from now until the quarterfinal. So a lot can change. But um, yeah, like we said, ugh, this was a damaging result. So they have a long way to go. But at the same time, if they... We know how dangerous, especially their backs are. If they can just somehow get parity, which they couldn't get yesterday out front, then they're a much more dangerous looking team. Mm. 
it's interesting if you compare this versus our game against them earlier this year, where, you know, the same 20 minutes, we were played completely off the park. We were out of that game as much as they were out of this game. They actually got points out of it and we didn't. But um, we then managed to, you know, stabilize, bring our bench on and, and really kind of put the pressure back on them until the last kind of 10 minutes. So, you know, we came out of that game being like, shit, you know, they walked on us for 20 minutes, but we actually, there was an, quite a lot of positives we could take out of that game. It, ne- it wasn't nearly the damaging blow that this one is, I think. Um, so I think it's a, it's a lot more of a worrying position for them. But that being said, it's still only a single result. And, and I think points, uh, Phil's point is like, they've got a nice run in the World Cup to like build up to the quarterfinals. Um, the way they can stabilize, I think, is not definitely not, you know, complete apocalypse. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the much more infamous, much less knowledgeable about rugby, Ben Smith, um, posted on, on his Twitter account that he felt this was the exact result that both teams needed. I think referencing the fact that the Springboks needed a cohesive, strong performance to just show that they are you know, going in the right direction. And New Zealand, I suppose, he's trying to look for you know, reaction from the side now. Does New Zealand need this result? Like, Do they need to kick up the backsides that I think he is implying? Or is that just another second thing to they, say? They, they, yeah, I don't a pretty good so. run this year. Sorry, Gaffel. Yeah, yeah I, I think I was just going to say, I don't think so. Like you're saying, they have been on a pretty good run. They were building. So what they needed was another step in their building block towards the World Cup. They didn't need a whole, you know, rebuilding effort for everything yeah. that they've been building towards to get torn down. So comprehensively so i definitely disagree with that and let's just be clear that that ben smith is not the great ben smith it's just a reactionary wannabe journalist so yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and they were going to get their te- tough test against france either way um but that they either would have walked or they would have um you know had a tight game and you know regardless of that result they were going to make the quarters so i think you know i think again given the one-sidedness affair of this is it's very downing and I think you could maybe if it was a close game or they were a bit like off the weather then maybe you can call that a positive but when you're so comprehensively outplayed like that is a, a, wor- a much more worrying result than a like a kick up the backside if you know what I mean yeah yeah I mean it's just a stupid thing to say I think um so we've talked <laughs> in some, we've talked in some some generalities about the game about the forward pack dominance about Back and we just squeezed them. They didn't have parity. Um, maybe they'd spend some time talking about individuals, starting with Ant. I mean, you, you've been campaigning for Kane and Moody at 13 in Elkanya Am's absence uh, for a while now. How did you feel that went? Um, I don't think he got tested as much on the sense as we were expecting. So, you know, that probably helped a lot of um, it looking like a really good performance. Um, so maybe let's start there. He looked very assured and comfortable at 13. Um, particularly on attack, he had some really, really nice touches. Um, but and, and you know, on defense, he was able to put that pressure and, and regroup well. You know, and then that intercept he took when he got beaten around, kind of tracked back, took the intercept instead of for Arnold's try. No, for, sorry, for that uh, Willem to break. Um, you know, I think weirdly enough, he's going to face Turner tests and the All Blacks. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but just based on the performance yesterday. But yeah, he had a, he had a really assured game and scored a scored one of the best tries that were, 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 you know wasn't. Um, mm. Showing that he's got a lot more footballing skills at 13 than Jesse Creel does. <laughs> so, so are we backing Moody at 13 or are we leaving him as a wing option and a, a plan C 13? Yeah, I yeah think definitely that, I think. Cover that, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Like, so. It's nice to know that he could cover their pinch. And like, if we don't have, um, you know, we, I'm quite happy to throw him out there against Tonga or Romania at 13. You know, that's good for his development. But, you know, know he's definitely, I mean, he's probably close to first choice for 14 at the moment anyway. So, like, you wouldn't be, he's definitely starting ahead of Jesse or um, at 13. Well, I mean, that's, that was going to be my follow up is does this now strengthen his claim for that 14 jersey, given that he can cover 13 you know we were saying maybe maybe Colby and Orenso would be a combination for starting wings but given that no one else in the squad covers 13 currently with Am being one of the traveling reserves does that mean that we start 
Cannon Moody preferentially because he offers that center cover. What did you guys make of just, I mean, uh, responding to the question of the question, what did you guys make of Arnsa and Mapimpi yesterday? I didn't, I think Mapimpi worked hard, but didn't have too much impact. And I genuinely don't think I saw Arnsa do much apart from his try. Um, do you think it was just one of those games? Or do you think that also then feeds into our, uh, Moody starting at 14? I think it's such a tough one to to call. Like like you say, when wings don't get involved, it's not always their fault. I mean, wings should always be hungry for the ball and get it to get involved. But sometimes they can only do so much. And especially if they don't have obviously bad games, it's hard to sort of make a positive uh, judgment about their contributions. But um like, yeah, like you say, Mapimpi always appears to be working really hard, especially like chasing high balls and on defense. Um, I think the coaches are still pretty warm on him. I'm, I'm really uh, not sure what the, who like who's in pole position to start in the big games, you know, like for example, in the game against Scotland at the moment. And I'm really thinking that the coaches are thinking like it's very game dependent still at the moment. So I think Andrew, just to answer your question, I probably do agree that Moody has helped his cause by showing his proficiency at 13. Like it's, it helps, you know, if, if something happens to Krill, if that's happening, then whichever split we have on the bench, if we have a 6-2 or a 7-1, having Moody able to cover 13 <laughs> does help. I mean, we haven't mentioned that yet, yeah. <laughs> no, 7-1 is absurd. Um, I mean, Eddie Jones was, was pumping that up earlier this year and then, you know, we beat him to it. <laughs> that's just ridiculous I mean the, the only time that will ever have been done before is probably in some club game when they couldn't find enough backline reserves uh, yeah and I, I love that they bought on all seven uh, forwards on at the same time as well so it was like a, <laughs> a rota complete rotation except for Peter Seth ridiculous yeah. we did say we wanted to see more kind of traditional warm-up games where you just change your whole team at half time and that's pretty much as close as we were going to get <laughs> yeah yeah it was great and then just to see them keep dominating like like previous week against Wales, like the reserves just came on and carried on where the starters mm. you know left off. It was amazing to see that. No change in momentum whatsoever, or no negative change in momentum. Anyway. And yeah, I thought it was interesting then that um, I guess it was probably pre-selected, but um, Kurbis Reinach being selected as the the bench scrummy, if they were intending to use the bench scrummy as a winger because he came up from a pimpy and played wing. Uh, why not Grant Williams in that instance? Since Grant Williams is covering wing, like why wouldn't you give this opportunity to him to to do that? I, th I think maybe that was the point, is they wanted to see if Reinach could fill that role. And um, then I mean, famously, he has the speed for it. Um, really? But <laughs> what? if you didn't why? know, his dad was his, was his his dad is a sprinter. If you didn't know, um, <laughs> but I thought he actually played really well in the wing. I mean, I, I was. Really, like he had some really nice runs in space and was pretty strong in contact. Um, so I was, I, that was a really nice reassurance that like you could go right up all Williams on the bench and you have that nine wing cover and you can go with a Willemse or a Larue and you've got centre slash fullback cover. Um, so that was a, a really pleasing thing to see. I mean, it was yeah weird to see Mepimpi go off, but uh, I think if that was the experiment, it definitely paid off. Yeah. Another thing I just wanted to put out there is Marnie Lubbock slotted all five kicks. Some of them were yeah. some of them were more difficult than others, to be fair. He had a couple of sitters in front of the poles. And the, the first one he hit, he hit not very well. It was like skew, but it was right in front. So he like snuck it through the left hand upright. But I wasn't that, sure if it was the angle, but I thought he missed it. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't even thought he'd missed it from right in front. Yeah. So, so he had a apparently, apparently on right. Instagram, he's just been posting videos of him slotting the first touchline conversion for, I think, uh, Mark, Marcus try. <laughs> yeah. well, Which, you know, fair enough. He's earned the right to do that. Yeah, in terms of what the box wanted to get out of this, having a five out of five kicking performance was a real box tick. We'll just see if he's able to replicate that performance uh, and otherwise i mean he carried on as he has been a couple of searching cross kicks and things like that at least when we had penalty advantage um didn't come off this time but he's got that in his locker uh yeah i mean, I mean i'm pretty pretty much happy with his performance and backing him all the way through the world cup now i thought it was a really really strong performance from Lebuck. like 
one of the best games I think I've seen him play in the green and gold. Um, I, I think I, I noted like his kicking for touch was on point, like right in, deep in the corner from quite far out a number of different times. Um, that was really impressive and helped us keep the pressure on New Zealand, you know, just keep the malls rolling when, when, whenever they gave away a penalty. Um, and I think his passing was really slick as well. Like every time we had an opportunity, just the long sort of flat pass to get the backs away. Um, so I was really impressed with his overall performance. And like you say, five out of five kicks is exactly what we wanted from, from this. So hopefully he can build on that going forward. I genuinely think the only mistake he made, or I don't know if you can call it a mistake, was that cross kick uh, to Arnsa that ended up into Leia's arms that he then ended up running out with. I mean, I think, uh, that that could have been dangerous if if Julia didn't you know run straight up. But that's probably about the only non good thing he did all game. Um, that just shows how well he's grown into that role, and obviously what you know the coaches backing him has done for his confidence. Mm. Any other notable individual performances you guys want to talk about? Uh, um, Esther Hazen. Yeah. Go ahead. He I'm was right just a monster at twelve. I mean, ran over. Uh, Moanga a couple of times just just clean over the top of him, and even Barrett, who's you know I mean Barrett's yeah. a big boy at twelve, and he was really struggling to contain Estes. And I mean we've been saying yeah, all year that Estes has been putting big heat on DDA because every time Estes has played, he's been very urgent and very physical. Um, and this this I mean this is really I mean I don't know like do you start Estes after this kind of performance again against the All Blacks? I think I would be very tempted to, uh, like I said on our WhatsApp group. Um, I think, again, he had a really, really good performance. So the time where he pretty much ran through Jordy Barrett was what sticks out for me the most. But also just some of his like deft touches, which is what I really like to see, you know, where he draws in so many defenders and then is able to pass out the back to create so much space for the rest of the backs. Like that sort of, um, that sort of touch is really, really cool for me to see and i hope that he can carry on and he gets an opportunity so i don't know i'm i, I i'm very tempted to see him start but i don't know if we does or if dda deserves to be dropped so that's a huge decision yeah. but we don't lose much which is great if if something happens to dda there, there was one run i saw where literally five people jammed in to try and tackle him and like <laughs> if you can suck in a third of their team on your 12 i mean that's incredible but, I mean, to Phil's point, it is such a nice place to be. But, you know, we have these conversations about which winger should we start, which centre should we play. I mean, even, you know, you can look at fullbacks, like, should we be playing Lillemso or Vili? I think we all know the answer on that. But, like, the difference between first and second choice is really so small. I mean, this was arguably a second choice backline apart from Nibok. And they were class across the board. Yeah, I, I would be very tempted to play play Andre. I mean, he hasn't played much with Creel, if I can remember right, who I think is our first choice 13. So I don't know about them as a combination, whereas Damien and Creel played a lot together. But what Damien really brings is this like flat, hard running, get over the advantage line kind of kind of play. And he does that incredibly well. But Esther Hazen has shown he can do that equally well and I think offers other attributes that Damien maybe had earlier in his career, but I haven't seen Damien creating and, and distributing and stuff like like Andre can now in the recent past. Um, he just, yeah. and with the, you know, the box are, the box are adop adopting a more wider, you know, more creative style of play, especially in the backs after earning that dominance up front. That, that template is now there with Monty Lubbock at fly half and some incredible finishes on the wings. Creative Nasa Vili, like Andre creates those opportunities for the back line that I don't feel Damien actually does as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the one thing that Damien has that SA probably doesn't have is he's much more of a breakdown threat. Um, but yeah, it's, it is just a nice position to have two such strong options there. Do you think that we maybe missed Billy's creativity, especially in that early part of the game where we were struggling to break them down? Um, so had it obviously was named man of the match, which I think we were all a bit surprised by, but he had a, a good game. But um, yeah, do you think Billy would have helped with us being able to create something? It's an interesting one because we didn't exactly ever try and spread the ball down the back line in those first 20 minutes. 
You know, so it wasn't exactly like we had a lack of attacking intent or a lacking of attacking execution. We just didn't ever throw the ball down the line. Um, I think I mean, it didn't help that New Zealand were conceding a penalty at every single opportunity, so you couldn't build any momentum. They were very effective at killing the game. But, you know, I mean, one would have, I think maybe Billy um, would have called for the ball more aggressively than maybe Willemser did. And then that would have forced the ball up the back and we could have then exploited space. That That's probably, I think, where he would have brought more, rather than his actual skill set, it was more his vocality at demanding the ball to go wide. Yeah, I feel they, they offer different things for me. They're both creative players, but Damien creates more with his own ball in hand running and stepping and, you know, getting into gaps and making little offloads, whereas Vili creates with, you know, distribution rather than him running. You know, it's, it's a long time, I think, since we've seen Vili do some hijinks with the ball in hand. Like, he, he calls for the ball strategically in times that he knows he can create space and then distribute and put people into space. So, uh, And I think he communicates that plan really well to the team. So he puts people into good positions for him then to then do stuff with. And yeah. I think that's... I think the, maybe that's what we're missing most was that more of a general because you know you've got Marnie who's quite inexperienced and everyone else in the back line is not exactly a a general in the way that they're going to create the play or dictate terms of where people should be I think Vili would have brought that quite nicely to be like no, okay we're going to play the structure we're going to bring the ball out the back and not just smash it up and get held up over the try line repeatedly mm-hmm. so then are we saying our Pod, I mean, ignoring scrum off, because I know there's differing opinions there. Are we saying our pod first choice backline is Marnie Lubbock, Andre Esterhazen, Jesse Krill, Kane and Moody, Cheslin Colby, and Vili LaRue? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean, DDA versus, yeah. versus Esterhazen, I think, is a toss up. But the other, I'd say I agree. I, I wouldn't fight anyone on it. It sounds pretty good to me. I mean, the wings, I'm still, I'm, I'm still <laughs> so hesitant to just drop Mopin P completely. I know what he can offer, and I think even though he hasn't had the greatest year and some of the others have. But, um, yeah, Moody's really, I, like, I, I wouldn't, I would be more than happy with that team. I'd say Colby definitely starts. But whether it's 11 with uh, Moody or Warren, sir, I mean, like, let's not forget his claims. Or, yeah. or at 14 with a Pimpy, I think, I reckon that's probably the... Colby's probably locked in. Yeah, I think Colby's locked in. I think my... I've switched between Arnsa and Moody being my first choice on the other wing, whether that's 11 or 14, depending on the player. Um, I think Mpimpy's dropped it fourth in the rankings for, for me anyway, but there seems to be... The plan for him with the coaches, just from the selections and what they what they say. Well, I don't know if, if if this is your B team backline, which it, I would argue it was. Then sure. the Pimpy's in the B team backline. Yeah, so yep. you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think back to the last World Cup, also in the semi final against Wales, and Kossi started, so it shows how much we've also built in terms of the sort of capacity in, at the, of that position. So Colby well, was in, in, in wasn't able to play, so uh, Kossi had to come in. So now we've got great options if Colby gets injured, you know, and can't play a semi final this time around. Yeah, no one's, no one's batting an eyelid, um, which is which is exciting. Just like then, you know, I mean, in course he was very unlucky not to be playing regularly at that World Cup because at that time he was brilliant. Um, yeah, you know, I think sure. the same thing now. Any, any four of those, any of those, two of those four wings is going to be unlucky not to be playing um, starting games at this World Cup. Yeah, yeah. And I think just, you know, sh- a shout out to the backline defensive systems. I feel like that was such an important part of, of limiting New Zealand is they never got past one pass or fly half. The offset pieces or from broken play it was all this one-off running because they just couldn't get wide because we were in their channels already. Our rush defense from outside in was just incredible. And there'll be some teams, I'm thinking like Ireland and that, that will have strategies to overcome that. But New Zealand were just unable to adapt and they were completely choked as a result. And then they couldn't they couldn't get ascendancy in the forwards and running it short. So everything just fell apart. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. And it was um, knowing how dangerous New Zealand can be, it was just amazing to see. Uh, like, especially 
you know, our wings, Moody also getting in, in the intercept. Um, and yeah, that intercept and then getting his hands free, that was great to see. But uh, yeah, it's really what we wanted from our back line. So I hope long let, may it continue. And hopefully we can figure out, like you say, when we play Ireland, how to best utilize it there too, or to try and limit whatever they might counter to it. Hmm. I mean, there's there's little... Yeah, Go ahead, Andy. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, I think... I think we got lucky with this game that we kind of, off the kickoff, we got a penalty and then we were immediately in their half and putting pressure on them. And then that kind of spiraled out of control. Like the, the structure of the game allowed us to be, mm. or assert our dominance yeah. excessively in the first kind of five, 10 minutes. And that really set the tone kind of in the way that New Zealand did against us. Like we just didn't have that ball for the first 20 minutes. And you couldn't, there was just nothing we could do. Like we were defending as well as we could have, but eventually they were going to break us. And the same thing here is that we, we just had the ball from, and we were in there 22 for probably 15 of those 20 minutes. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, I think you, you can't rely on that kind of territory pressure, uh, you know, to all the time. If you, you can be a lot more assertive in their 22 than you can in your own, say, for example. So I think, you know, we must probably also take that with a pinch of salt that we won't get the same territory dominance as constantly in other games, which was just a fluke of penalties and things like that. Yeah, it was yeah. Um, it was interesting. Yeah, we we had all this dominance up front and I was getting itchy because we had nothing to show for it. It was nil all and they turned us over on their line and had some some exits and stuff and we pushed back. But we, we hadn't actually capitalized on all that dominance. But actually in a weird way having that sustained dominance and then them having to commit penalties to keep us out and then the, the yellow card and then the second yellow card, like not having the the dominance on the scoreboard and taking things back to half halfway and then them kicking into our territory actually paid off because we were able to squeeze them that way and get all these penalties, get the ref on our side because they kept infringing, uh, get the, the guys off the field. So there was a weird, like the payoff wasn't on the scoreboard initially it was in the pressure that we put on the team and then and then we wrecked havoc from there. Um, yeah. There was something was I was one. actually going to ask. Do you, do you think not going for the three repeatedly um, was the right call? It was, I mean, in hindsight, it was, of course. But uh, at the time, it, 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 like Andrew was saying, it felt like we needed to get something from that dominance. And we were at the, when we weren't getting something, I think there was probably at least one point where I was like, shit, we should have taken posts, should have taken three points. We need, we needed to make something, get something from that. Um, but we persisted and it worked, but it was a gamble at that point. And so perhaps, perhaps, yeah, a little bit fortunate in that aspect. And maybe if it was a super high pressure match with a bit more than just the Qatar Airways Cup on the line, we would have gone for posts. I think I agree with that. Uh, it, it, it was brave leadership, I think, to to keep pressuring on and keep forcing forcing that, that pressure on them. But also I felt like once we had got the try and we were now 7-0 up, almost immediately off kickoff, we gave away a penalty and an easy kick for Uchimaonga. And I was like, well, shit, we've had 20 minutes of dominance and now 30 seconds of ball play and we've given away a penalty and we're going to reduce the deficit to four. I mean, luckily he missed, but it nearly it nearly bit us. Yeah, that's kind of my, my thinking. And that's why I'm, I'm not sure where... You, like, I think, as you said, we got a lot of long-term payoff for that dominance for 20 minutes. And I think once you've kind of committed to the corner, you really do need to just underline that. Because otherwise, you know, you go for the three and it's kind of like a let-off to the, for the other team. Um, cause you know, you concede, you only score three and then you go all the way back to your own territory. Um, but you know, if we don't, if we take in the three and then off the kickoff conceded that, then it's three all. Um, so it's, uh, it's hard to say what the better plan was there. Yeah. Like Phil said, I think it might be context driven going forward. If it's a really big game against, uh, uh an important rival in a knockout game or something, I think you take the points on offer. That's. Generally, what people say in test rugby, you take the points on offer. But yeah, um, that wasn't the case in this game, and we were lucky to get the benefits from it. 
Yeah, and I think it's tricky because that first penalty that we won, which was one like the 40 on the closest to the touchline, like that's quite a hard kick to take. And if it was Pollard, it would have been like, yeah, cool, Foy. But, you know, with, with LeBoc, like I, would be, I could I understand the decision to go for the corner early. And now you're in the corner and they've infringed twice at the line out. You're like, shit, you can't not keep committing to this plan now, um, even if we're only like five minutes into the game. So it was, yeah. Yeah. A hard one to say which way we should have done it, but I think it, it obviously we did benefit from that pressure. Yeah, talking of of lineouts, um, we had Ibn Etzebet and Franco Mostert start together for the first time in forever. Uh, I think we talked about how Franco Mostert's maybe dropped. I mean, for for some of us, he wasn't really going to make the World Cup squad at some point. He was looking like he was so out of form. Uh, but I think we won all of our lineouts in stall three, and he had a, a decent game. I don't think he had a standout game, but in, in this in this kind of game, it's difficult to stand out when everyone's playing really well. Uh, how do we feel about Franco Mostert after that performance? Given that he's playing at five, which he normally has been playing at seven, and what are we thinking? I think he was really impressive. Um, uh, I think it does suit his game more at five. As we've said, at seven, he he hasn't quite um, been as impactful as we would like, or even as, I don't know, hardworking, um, although he generally is. But I think he was, you know, as almost as good as we could hope for. Like you said, he had a line-out steal. Um, he was pretty good in the line-outs. He was, I think, noticeably good in the team effort, uh, despite it, like you said, it's hard to sometimes pull out those individual efforts. So I I would feel really good about him and it's about being the starting combo and having Stamon come off the bench, um, as I think I said last week. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, again, it, it, it just helps so much to have good options. So whether we start him or... Uh, yes, Neyman. It's a great option to have. Marvin Ori. No, Ori's not on the team, but I really enjoyed Klein and Snayman coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, I didn't think Mostert had the best game. I did think he made a couple of errors, but um, I quite like the look of you go Etzebeth and, and um, Mostert, and then you bring on the big heavy guns, um, Klein and uh, Snayman. Yeah. It's it's an option. I mean, again, you know, it's so nice to have all these really good backups. And a lot of people say it's a disadvantage not to know who your best team is. But on the other on the flip side, to have all these really great options and such incredible depth across positions is definitely a bonus in a you know, tournament like this where they are going to need to rotate and chop and change and there will be injuries to know that we have the depth to carry the squad through that. I mean, that's really, really looking good for the Springboks. And I think the cool thing is it's not so much like, oh, who's your best team? It's about, it's really like, what are you trying to do? And then you just pick accordingly, you know? Do you want to yeah. play a combination in center? Then you go DLND and Creel. Great. If you want to go um, workhorse to start with, or you know, do you want the, the, the stamina impact off, off the bench or the workhorse of lost it off the bench? And it's like, they're all yeah. equally good options. It just depends what, which option you want to choose, um, which is exciting. And potentially with the wings as well. I mean, just different strengths, slightly different capabilities and that sort of thing. Um, just in terms of the lineups, yeah, it was 15 out of 17 wins on their own throw. So two wayward ones, but mostly pretty pretty good. I think one was a Bongi. We did steal three, though. Yeah, yeah Bongi missed skew. It had one skew that he and, Mar- and Marks had one, which they stole quite early. But uh, yeah, other than that, it was perfect. Yeah. So we were, I mean, at that, in that second half, we kind of were just regularly picking off their ball, which was very exciting to see. Which is also really interesting considering, you know, when we played in New Zealand, I don't think we contested one of their lineups. Um, whereas here we were contesting and winning a lot. Maybe it was all... And it kind of comes back to, as I was going to say, like, were we deliberately holding back contesting in that game? Maybe. It, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting question always. Like, to some degree, it also still feels like you know, despite the dominant effort, there was still Fiji some sort scored of... another worldie with a man down. Their they... wing just inside outsided um, Johnny May and made him look ridiculous. Really? On, on my screen, yeah. it's still celebrating Derek Watts. So you're like half-time. 10 minutes behind. 
I'm three minutes into the second half already. Maybe we can change tack slightly and just talk about the the discipline issues on both sides. Um, maybe starting with the New Zealanders, uh, Kane got a one of the team yellows, I think they call them, for repeated infringements. So uh, not much to talk about there. But Scott Barrett, uh, a couple of incidences. I mean, the second incident, probably more worth discussion than the first, where he went in with a, a clean on, I think with Peter Steph to toy on the ground. Um, marks. Marks, Malcolm Marks on the ground, uh, making contact with the head. But the ruling, I think, was that he went body first and slid up. Uh, your guys' opinions on that? Is that citable after the game or play on? I am surprised that it wasn't upgraded to a red. I thought it looked really grubby. I think it's the sort of term we use quite often. Um, just, yeah. it looked to me like whether it's body to head, it looked to me like it was something to head. And it was exceptionally bad because Marx was lying prone on the ground, like defenseless, and he just sort of came landing on top of him. So... I would like to see him get a ban. I mean, I spoke last week or even in our head-to-heads, I think I've been so impressed with Scott Barrett this year in general and mm. how well he's been playing. But that, we've seen it before, maybe not this, exactly the same thing, but we've seen his indiscipline definitely before. And it's not his first time getting a red card in an international match either. So he's got it in him and it's just not nice to see. I think it should have been a red. And I think the All Blacks just general discipline was pretty bad, but also... This seemed like one of the few times that we've seen where they actually got penalized as much as they almost should have been. So often in the past, mm. we've seen them get away with so much stuff. And this time they were getting penalized and deservedly so. But I think a lot of times in the past, they've gotten away with this time, it, uh, like relatively similar sort of actions, especially when another team's on attack. I mean, that was what those first 10 minutes were about. I mean, at every single line drive, they were pushing early. And the ref was just like, stop it. And they just didn't, you know, which is a completely coached behavior. So it was great that the ref was picking that up. And so hopefully, you know, whether that was the Springboks briefing the refs about this, because I mean, the Irish and the French are both really sneaky um, around the breakdown. And so if, you know, if, if the refs are sharp on that stuff, that plays hugely into our favor. Because I feel like we're probably the least sneaky team out there around the rules. Like I don't, I'm not going to say that we're like honest, <laughs> but basically we play more to the letter of the law than we try and push the boundaries. Yeah, um, I think another you know, way. So, to be... so when teams sneak yeah. against us, it's a big disadvantage. <laughs> I, I think another way to put it would be like we are less good at playing to the reps, which is sounds less positive. You know that other teams are less sneaky, but rather they're better the at thing. like yeah, exactly. It's the same thing, but it's sort of yeah. It means that we need to hopefully just you know be able to play the refs better or if the refs oh, like well, that, I, yes, th- I don't think it is quite the same thing because i think other teams go into a game deliberately planning to push the boundaries yeah and then they do it and then the refs sometimes don't blow it and then they're like oh we can carry on doing it. whereas like we don't go in with that mindset and then even when we see the other teams getting away with it instead of copying the tactic we just still stick to the crew rules and get annoyed that we're not you know, they're not getting blown. So it's probably, it's an element of both, but I think there's, we're a lot less deliberately sneaky with trying to break the rules in the same way. Um, yeah. But back to the Barrett thing, like, you know, we obviously, there's been a lot of red card discussion in the last couple of weeks um, with quite a few different height shots for Billy Bunapola and Barrel and things. This was by far the worst of those, as Phil said, it was grubby. Like, Mark is on the ground, he's nowhere near the ruck, let alone the ball. Um, Barrett's not doing anything to shift him He's just attacking a man on the floor, basically, <laughs> for absolutely no gain whatsoever, apart from, I don't know, maybe trying to serve some dominance or something. But it's just, you know, like, if any, any time there's a behavior or a stamp out of the game, it's this kind of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, one would, whether there's head contact or not, diving onto a player on the floor with your shoulder really shouldn't be allowed. Um, so one would hope that there would be a bit of a sighting, um, just, just at least to look at it and be like, it probably should have been non-field red. We'll upgrade it to a red, but no ban or something. You know, basically just to kind of enforce that those aren't behaviors you want to be seeing in the game. Because um, you know, in this case, Mark's just fine, but attacking a player on the floor is, is just really not okay. Yeah, that, there was something in the the Owen Farrell appeal 
where they said the action was always illegal, so there wasn't mitigation. So in in this in this case, like uh, diving into a player on the ground is always illegal, and there's the extra factor of he made contact with the head, uh, so it's reckless and dangerous. So I I feel like that's I I must watch it again and just see where the initial contact was, but. Like it's at least a yellow, which he did get a second yellow. But I, I do believe on my first viewing, and I must just qualify, I haven't looked at it again. And I had a couple of beers by the time that incident happened in the game. But on first view, <laughs> I felt like that was definitely a straight red. Like his second second yellow should have been a red. Yeah, I'm a bit more sympathetic. I think it did hit body first and then right up. Um, so I wasn't incredibly against it. Um, but I do think it should be reviewed either way. Um, whereas the Peter Steph one, I think, I mean, it was definitely nowhere near red and even yellow, you know, it could have gone either way, just been a pen, you know, Peter Steph was bent at the waist, Sam Kane was bent at the waist and he was already being tackled and it was a wrap because that's why that was the arm that hit the head, not the shoulder because he was wrapping, you know, so if ever there was a point where Peter Steph did everything he could possibly do right. That was it, um, and it was completely accidental head contact. Um, but it was, you know, Peter Steps. I love to see his reaction to cards. He's just the most yep. gutted player. <laughs> like he his down. hands, he's crying. He's let the country go. <laughs> and I, what I did see, which was quite interesting, is someone like contrasted that kind of reaction to being like, "Shit, I've let my team down." As opposed to when you see Vinopolo or Farrell when they got red card, and they're like, "Oh no, the ref is lying. Like I didn't do anything wrong." You know, it's like. That's if you want to like give someone an apology for remorse, look at Peter Steph. That's remorse. Shaking your head and tisking at the ref is not remorse. Yeah. I was nervous with that just because it's hard to know exactly how refs are going to deal with a whole lot of different situations these days. Like Ant was saying, there were plenty of reasons that it should have come down from, you know, that maximum red card punishment to possibly even less than a yellow. But um, it was a yellow straight away and they were checking it. And I was worried because that would have meant, a, you know, a ban if it was a red probably. So I agree that it shouldn't have been more than it was given, but uh, it still definitely made me nervous. Mm. Yeah, it's just, we've seen such inconsistency with how these collisions have been adjudicated uh, on, on the field and off the field. So it does create some uncertainty about what's actually going to happen when these incidents occur. And that, that's... Well, I mean, how many, we, we've seen like unprecedented numbers of cards in, in recent times. I think that's probably what most fans are frustrated about. Like we as a watching community, we should be able to see an incident and kind of universally agree that's a red. We shouldn't be seeing Peter Steph make a tackle and be like, hmm, we're not sure if this is red or a penalty. Like, there shouldn't be that much variation in the potential outcome. Like, we should see an Instagram and be like, okay, we all know what this is. This is a red. Like, it should be that level of consistent. And I think that's that's kind of what we'll really need to get right is make it obvious for the fans to know what the outcome is going to be. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be sitting there anxious whether it's going to go one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, that comes down to consistency. Like, is everyone interpreting yeah. rules the same way and applying them the same way? And that's just not happening at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I hope that that's one of the outcomes of the whole Farrell thing, is that it shows that the, the current disciplinary system, there isn't enough alignment between the people that are doing the reviewing of incidences. Um, I think on the one hand. On the other hand, like, this whole mitigation for 17 different reasons is nonsense. You know, you, you can't just throw away half a ban because it's his first time, you know, like if it's a deterrent, it must be a deterrent and you'd be harsh on it. And none of this, like, Oh, he gives to charity. That's a week. Oh, he said, sorry, that's another week. Oh, his mom's in hospital because she's got cancer. That's another week. Oh, but he actually shined his shoes that morning. He looked really well dressed. That's another week. You know, like I've seen <laughs> stuff to that extent. You're like, it's, no, it's nonsense. If you did a thing, it's six weeks. Like, that's the ban. Like, why is there all this behavioral stuff you bring into it? Um, yeah. Silly. Yeah. No, I think I think we all agree. Um, I love the shoe shining example. That's brilliant. Maybe that'll be the episode title. Did Owen Farrell shine his shoes? <laughs> <laughs> not, not for the second hearing, obviously. Yeah, obviously. You forgot that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
So, I mean, this this result's pretty emphatic. A, a record victory of the All Blacks. Things couldn't really look better right now for the Springboks going into the World Cup. Um, second position on World Rugby rankings. Are we are we a bit more confident about the opening game? Because Scotland have been playing well. They're playing Georgia imminently, which probably won't tell us all that much. But we were, I mean, me, me included, Scotland being my second team, quite worried about this opening fixture. Um, has has this performance by by the, the box this weekend put those fears to rest, or are we still tentatively, just tentatively confident? I, I don't think I was ever not confident. I've always been very comfortable that we were going to be Scotland. It's just by how much. <laughs> I think I like I've had no doubts that we were going to beat Scotland no. in that opening just, game. Just me then. I'm, I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> <Yeah>. Look, <laughs> I, I'm I'm always. I always err on the side of caution. I think so, but I'm still I'm still pretty confident. I think just the you know the difference between their forwards and our forwards is what would always fill me with confidence, and that's been doubled down this weekend or from last night's results. So, yeah, pretty confident that we can you know choke them out quite similarly, and if not, at least be able to. Um, yeah, show show that we are a slightly better team than Scotland, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, the question is always going to be, what do we do against Ireland, and how do we beat France or New Zealand in the quarterfinal? Like, uh, you know, I completely agree. Scotland have been playing really lovely rugby, and it's I enjoy them as a team, and I'm just really sad that they're in our pool. Um, if they were in any other pool, they're definitely making the quarterfinals. It's just unlucky that they're. You know, ranked fifth in the world, but one and two are also in their pool. So it's, it's just really unfortunate for them that they just got drawn a really bad hand here. Um, and are Fiji get a score again? Yes, boys. 15 8. <laughs> Spoilers. They still have a scrum on Sorry. my screen. <laughs> Sorry. You'll catch up, Phil. Um, uh, I'm just excited. No, but I think, like, well, hey, I think what was really encouraging <laughs> for me is that we, we were good, yes. Um, against the All Blacks last night, but I definitely don't think we were perfect. Like I think there were a couple of things that I really appreciated that we didn't look you know, like often. You know, the box was fired up for these kind of things. Like we just looked clinical. We just looked like we were doing our job. And yes, we were doing our job really well. And they were focused on it. But you know, this wasn't like an emotionally charged type match. Like for example, in Mumbai last year, where we were you know running on emotion. This looked like a calm, calculated performance. But I also think there were lots of things we could have done. You know, we could have been way more clinical in those first 20. Um, you know, we could have played with our backline a lot more at certain stages. So I think there's definitely a couple of gears we can go up, um, which is the most encouraging thing. And I think that's, you know, I don't think the Springboks are going to be leaving this performance being like, okay, cool, we've won the World Cup. I think they're going to leave it. And you could, you heard CN's interview and Villasso both being like, yeah, that was lucky, that was good, but there's a lot of work on it. Like, this is not job done, but... There's a lot of stuff we need to fix up before the World Cup gets going. And I think those are the really encouraging signs when you can be that emphatic and still like, uh, yeah, but we weren't hitting our straps. Yeah, I also felt a bit nervous a few times when we were dropping consecutive high balls again. Uh, so that that really seems to be a tactic that the team will use this World Cup against us and we need to find solutions to that. Yeah, it's an area that's always going to be tough to get right, you know, like there's so many different factors involved of, uh, you know, the sort of following the runners or trying to protect your own kickers and or chasers and hopefully we can get that right. But I, I think there's more to come from our team, like Ant was saying, but also that we... It's all that we were holding back just a little bit in terms of some variation from whether it's backline or even forwards and more, um, you know, different more attacks like we did see for when Khaleesi set up marks like that was just a really well-worked move that completely flabbergasted the All Blacks defense but I think we have more up our sleeves too so again fills us fills, filled me with more confidence on that one it was quite cool you saw them try to well I saw them try to do that in the first half and it, okay. you Khaleesi kind of got jammed inside the ruck in the mall and he didn't get the ball out cleanly it's cool that we managed to do it again and then score from it because yeah. they they definitely tried that move in the first half and it didn't work. Um, and they tried it again, which is cool. And, and just with that, and, uh, con congratulations to Marks. Yes. He became the top uh, tr 
forward try scorer of all time going past Skulk. And Bonky's only like third or fourth or something. So obviously but a good the, time for to them, be a the, South African the, hooker. There was a long time where Bongi and Marks were going try for try. Like they, were both, they, they, like they would literally score one per game each um, and they were tired for a long time. So now I think when Marks was 17, Bongi's probably like 13 or so. He's, he's not, he'll, he'll pass Skulk by the end of his career for sure. Mm. think so. Mm. Uh, Just quickly and- on that, do you, do you now think that you know we the the kits off Marks Malherb is the first choice? Because I thought Bongi played nicely off the bench. I thought he, he proved that he can bring that energy off the bench. I I, I think it's uh, more or less. So I mean, I, I honestly think Marks is like best in the world. Um, so yes. not not taking away from Bongi. So Bongi was really good, and Bongi is close up there in terms of probably you know like top five or next best hookers but marks is a step above but um again i think they'll use it as they need to like the different uh not partnerships the different trios front row trios and then being able to um sometimes bring marks off the bench if they really feel like it's it's necessary like even against scotland i wouldn't be surprised to see bongi start and marks come off the bench and have his impact where they feel like they might have a bit more leeway or just wanting marks impact yeah, either either well both have been proven to work. So I, I like the fact that they are now building combinations. So we've had the same combinations picked um starting and bench the last two games and they've, they've done really well with that. So that's a nice consistency. But we've so we've seen alternative solutions work. So they they've got a plethora of options available to them. And you keep saying what a privilege. You're not a like like Scotland have a really good first team, but backing that up is difficult when they have key injuries. You know, it's just an example. Springboks yeah. have the luxury of they can pick a B side and and it's not a B side. It's just an alternative side. Um I just want to say like just a, a shout out as well to Sia Colisi again, you know, really bringing it in his second game back from from a five month injury layoff and a serious knee injury and just putting himself in there, throwing himself into hits, creating tries, making big tackles. Like, man, he's just looking so good. Yep. He got a try and a try assist yesterday, like you say. He just, he, and he plays slightly longer than the game before. I was really impressed with him and I'm really confident for like starting him in the big game against Scotland and seeing how he can keep going. But uh, oof, Marcus Smith just scored. Um, yeah. First touch off the bench. Fuck's sakes. <laughs> He's offside. He's offside. All right. Um, I disagree. Pull it back. Pull it back. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think. Are they Archie teaming it? Yes. <laughs> Love that. Sorry. Love Royals. to see England. England are losing twenty points to eight at the moment. I just want to highlight this. And he's okay. definitely one miles offside. Well, there we go. Oh. So we might have to review the other games in a separate podcast, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll, we'll do another game, another episode where we'll review these games and maybe start looking forward to the World Cup and making oh. our predictions and running through the pools or something. But I think I need to leave you two to get to the game. I'm going to go I'm turn not it sure that he's offside. Yeah, <laughs> it's marginal. On-field try means play on. You said uh, miles actually. offside. I was expecting... <laughs> Uh, podcast is I, I'm sorry, sorry, Andrew. <laughs> put it together, put it together, Andrew. Renison. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to host it. It's like herding cats, but um, given that we're running up to about an hour now, maybe let's get some some closing thoughts, one from each of you, and then we'll wrap up and and go watch England lose to Fiji, which would be fantastic. Uh, starting, we started with Phil for the first comments, and then start to end first. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously just. I think it's important to look at the results and just appreciate it in isolation. It was a beautiful performance. We did incredibly well. And, you know, we can be stoked and enjoy that, irrelevant of what happens in the next month. Um, but hopefully it is actually setting us up really well uh, in that context and it can lead to bigger and better things. It's definitely boding well. It was like when we went to Japan and put 50 on them the week before the tournament or something. And then guess who we played in the quarterfinal? So... Mm-hmm. Could all be <laughs> prophetic. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, from my side, just really good to get through the game with no injuries, um, to keep building those combinations. I think even someone's performance, you know, like Dwayne went down, I think, in the very first moment of the match, but thankfully he got straight back up, just a little stinger. But he had a like a really good performance, and I'm pretty sure he's the number one, number eight at the moment now. Um, I'm happy with the combinations, um, and I'm really excited for the World Cup to start. I can't wait for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, much much like a J.R.R. Tolkien novel, there's been twists and turns and slumps and and crescendos, but uh, we're coming up to a very positive ending here and at the start of the World Cup journey. So with that, I'm going to tie it up. Thank you for listening. I will be back soon. Cheers.